0: Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5. Here's what Paul writes. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn from you Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look at this passage of Scripture and think through uh, the the Holy Spirit, the evidence of our salvation, that the Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and the ability to understand and that that we would look more like Jesus after we study this passage of Scripture. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of this morning's sermon is The Holy Spirit Evidence... Of salvation, And so this morning we're continuing through our, uh, our series uh, studying the book of Galatians. The entire series uh, is entitled Getting Back to Grace. And so we are going to see Paul continue his discussion uh, about the foolishness that the churches in Galatia are buying into. Uh, so just a quick recap. So the churches in Galatia are churches that, that, that Paul started uh, he, he planted these churches. Uh, he, he loves these churches. He spent a good bit of time at the church in, in Antioch. And so these are people that he knows deeply, he knows intimately. And as we established early on, these were churches that he planted through his own sweat and blood. He was, he was literally beaten to the point of death as he was doing ministry. In Galatia, he was planting these churches. So we establish that, that it's not so far of a stretch to say that these churches were established by his blood, sweat, and tears. And so Paul loves these churches, and, and he's disturbed by the fact that they're turning away from grace, that, that they're walking away from that which they had initially placed their faith in. And so throughout the, the course of this book, what he's doing is he's calling them to come back to grace. He's calling them to remember that they are saved by grace through faith and it's not by keeping the law. You see the the lie that had crept in uh, as you're well aware was, was from these individuals called Judaizers and basically what they were teaching was that It's okay for non-Jews to become Christians, but in order for you to become a Christian, you have to keep the Jewish law first. So they were arguing that you had to become a functional Jew before you could become a Christian. And Paul Paul is saying that this isn't the case, that that you are not saved by keeping the law. You are not saved by doing a bunch of good works, but, but you are saved by grace through faith. And so one of the things, though, that we can't forget as we think about the churches in Galatia is that these were churches that were in the midst of great trial. These aren't a group of individuals who have an easy life right? Everything's not going well for them. These aren't a group of people that are sitting on their couches, you know, relaxed, sitting back, just thinking about the theological ideas of the day, and they're landing on this idea that, well, maybe I I do need to keep the Jewish law. Now, these are Christians who are in the midst of fierce persecution and fierce hardship and fierce trial, and they are genuinely struggling. They are struggling, And what they're doing is they're looking for something to help explain why life is so hard. And they're looking for some way to get out of this hardship. And so they are asking questions like, listen, is this Christianity thing really worth it? Is this, is this all that the Christian life is? Have we missed something? Have we genuinely believed the truth? Is salvation really by faith alone? And they're asking the question, are we even saved? Are we really made right with God? And they're, they're asking these hard questions, and it's stemming from the fact that they are facing hardship in their life. Now, I want you to hear this because this is very important. What they are doing is they are looking at their faith through the lens of their circumstances rather than looking at their circumstances through the lens of faith. That's very important, right? They are are looking at their faith through the lens of their circumstances, what's going on around them, rather than looking at what's going on around them through their faith. And once we start doing that, it's a very dangerous thing. And it's leading them down very dangerous roads. Now, the reason I bring this up, the reason I reiterated this, and I've reiterated it in most of the sermons in Galatians so far, is because we have to understand that we too, at times, in our Christian walk, will find ourselves, often in times of struggle, asking some of these same questions that the churches in Galatia were asking. Is this really worth it? Is this all that there is to the Christian life? Have we missed something? Have we genuinely believed the truth? Is salvation really by faith alone? And I can attest to you, even as one of your pastors, that there have been times in my walk when I have asked the question, am I really even saved? Am I really even saved? But like the churches in Galatia, this often happens to us in times when things are just not going really well in our life. Maybe we, we got diagnosed with something and we're, we're asking, man, is God really there? Is he really for me? Or maybe, maybe we're facing persecution because we're trying to follow Jesus and it seems like everybody hates us because of that. And we, we ask that question, is this really worth it? Do I want to endure this? Is it, is it really worth it? Or sometimes things are going so terribly wrong in our life that we just ask the question, is God really for me? Am I, am I really his? Has he even saved me? And so if we are not careful, church, we can find ourselves trapped in the same situation that these churches in Galatia are in. You see, these churches have their eyes fixed on their current circumstances above all else. And I want to be as as clear as, as possible with this. So when our eyes are fixed primarily on what is going on around us right here and right now, we will find ourselves in places of despair without hope. Because hear me, the truth of the matter is our hope is anywhere but the present. Our hope is anywhere but the present. See, we look back and we find hope in what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And we look forward to where he is taking us and where we are going. So our hope is found in what has already happened and what is going to happen. But our hope is not found in the here and now. Now, I'm not saying we don't have hope right now. Because we have hope because of what has taken place and what will take place. But if I am basing my hope and the foundation on it, on my life as it currently is here and now in this world, it is hopeless. Because our hope is grounded in what Jesus has done and where he's taking us. And we see this even in Scripture, right? Because the psalmist in Psalm 77 looks back when he finds himself in a pit of despair, right? I've shared that passage before. I love Psalm 77. It's one of those psalms that just speaks to my soul where the psalmist is asking those genuinely hard questions of God. I'm talking about genuinely hard questions. Has God forgotten how to be compassionate? Compassionate. Has he shut his love up for me forever? So he is asking tough questions of God. And can we just pause and say how amazing it is that we can ask God some hard questions. And that he's big enough to take it. He's he's strong enough. that, That we can be honest with where we are. As if God doesn't already know where we genuinely are. And so he, he is in this pit of despair, the psalmist in Psalm 77, as he looks at all that's going on around him. He's asking really hard questions. But then in Psalm 77, verse 11 and 12, he says, But I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember, listen to this, your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all that you have done and meditate on your actions. So in the pit of despair, the psalmist in Psalm 77 doesn't just look at what's going on around him, but he looks back and he says, I have seen God work for good. But Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18, he looks forward as he looks for hope. And he says, therefore, we do not give up. How many of you need to hear that? We do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed. Even though our outer person is being destroyed. Our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction. It might not seem like momentary. It might not seem light. But our light and momentary affliction, listen to this, is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Our hope, brothers and sisters, is not based in what is going on right here and right now. Praise God. I know this might sound weird for a pastor to say, but can we be honest? that Sometimes life just sucks. And it is hard. And it is tough, and we don't understand why these things are happening to us. We don't understand why we're struggling, why we're, why we're hurting so bad, and yet we can, we can hold on to the truth that this is not where our hope is found. And so when we are stuck focusing only on what is going on in our lives now, we, like the churches in Galatia, can begin to, to ask some serious questions, and we can begin to doubt some of the fundamental truths that we have believed and we can begin to doubt if we are even saved and we will begin to look for hope elsewhere and that is a dangerous place to be and what we're going to see in our text this morning is paul attempt to ground the church in, in galatia and he's going to ground them in truth and, and he's and he, he's going to do that by having them examine their own experiences right so what what we'll see in the weeks to come is Paul's actually going to give this brilliant theological defense. It's going to last for almost two chapters. I mean, he is going to get theological. He's going to look at Abraham and faith and the child of promise and the child of inheritance and salvation by grace through faith. He's going to give a theological, I mean, he's going to write a theology book on you are not saved by what you do. You are saved by faith in Christ. But he doesn't start there. Just like he did with his own story. He starts with their story and with their experience. What Paul is going to do is remind them of the Holy Spirit that dwells within them and the Holy Spirit dwelling within them is evidence of their salvation which was brought about by faith and not by the law. So he begins with their story. And he's going to remind them of the Holy Spirit that's in them. And we can't forget how significant this is because if you remember a few weeks back, we talked about Acts 15 when the churches, in Jeru- when, when the council in Jerusalem, the, the churches, the, the leaders there acknowledged that salvation was not just for the Jews. Praise God. Salvation was not just for the Jews because most of us in this room are Gentiles, we are not ethnic Jews. And so they, they acknowledged that, but what's so interesting is the way that they came to that conclusion was that they looked at the Gentiles and they saw evidence of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, or or, or the Bible tells us this in Acts 15, verses 7 through 8. It says, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers and sisters, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my, my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, listen to this, bore witness to them, to the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. So the evidence that the Gentiles were saved was the Holy Spirit that was in them. And so what Paul's going to do is remind them of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, and the Holy Spirit is the evidence of their salvation. Hear me, by grace through faith, not because of the law. Because in Acts 15, when they saw the Holy Spirit at work in the Gentiles, the Gentiles weren't keeping the law, and yet they acknowledged that they had been saved. And so Paul's going to take them back through their own story, But before we jump into our text, let me speak for just a moment about the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to note that when Paul decides to give evidence from their own stories of their salvation in their lives, he begins by looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in them. Now, we got to be honest, oftentimes, and especially in our tradition of faith, the significance of the Holy Spirit is often downplayed in the life of the believer. But we cannot forget the words that Jesus spoke in John 16, 7, when Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, that's a pretty crazy verse to think about when you really get into it. Because Jesus says that it is better for him to leave this world so that we could receive the Holy Spirit. It is better for us to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us than to have Jesus still walking around this world. That's crazy to me. Because I'd love to see Jesus walking around this place. I really would. I mean, you imagine if he showed up on a Sunday morning, like walked into our church, and yet what Jesus himself tells us is as cool as that was, it's actually better that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. That as you live in this life and as you endure, you need his presence that close and in that unique way more than you need me walking around with you. That's crazy. We can't downplay the significance of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus. And as we begin to understand a little bit as to what it is the Holy Spirit does in our life, we begin to see why he's so significant for us. Let me, let me just give you a couple of, I mean, this is this is a short list of what the Holy Spirit does. But you know the Holy Spirit is active in salvation, right? Titus 3, 4 and 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the what? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper, Jesus says in John 14:26. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, Romans 8, 26. That's a crazy passage of scripture because it says that when we, even, we, we don't even know what to pray. We don't even know what to say. Have you ever been there like you've been in that pit? I don't even know what to say to you, God. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit prays for us. He intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit gives us understanding, Isaiah 11, I was sharing with the worship team before we, we came out here, we always go in there and pray before the service. But I remind them, I said, you know what's so interesting is that it's because of the Holy Spirit that the words that we sing on this screen actually mean anything to us at all. Because without the Holy Spirit, they're just words on a screen. But it is the Holy Spirit himself who, as we sing them, as we say them, as we believe them, brings them to life in our heart and our mind. Because the Holy Spirit allows us to understand that we have victory in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who allows us to understand that there are 10,000 reasons why we praise. Not one of us is smart enough to figure those out on on our own. The Holy Spirit gives us power. Acts 1.8 The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to the body for the good of the body. 1 Corinthians 12.7 How about this one? The Holy Spirit fights for our sanctification. Romans 15, 16. Do you realize that as you are fighting to be holy, you are not fighting by yourself? That the Holy Spirit that is dwelling in you is fighting alongside of you. You know that when you are convicted of sin, it's not because you're a great person, it's because the Holy Spirit is working in you. When you are struggling and you and and you are doubting and you need hope, and the Holy Spirit brings that passage of scripture to mind, it's not because your memory is so great. It's because the Holy Spirit is working to make you like Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 3.16. He's not far away. He dwells within us if we are in Christ. We're going to talk about that in a second, but that's mind-boggling in and of itself. That we have become the temple of God. His Spirit dwells in us. But the Spirit is also the evidence of our salvation. Romans 8.16 says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When you are confident in the fact that you are in Christ, it's not because you know all the right things. It is because the Spirit is testifying alongside your spirit that you belong to God. That was just a small snippet of what the Holy Spirit is. you remember the whole, you know that the Holy Spirit is active in creation? Do you know that the Holy Spirit was, was part of the raising Jesus from the dead? I mean, the Holy Spirit does incredible things, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so what Paul is going to do in our text is remind them of the Holy Spirit in them that is the evidence of their salvation while simultaneously arguing that the presence of the Holy Spirit contradicts the idea that they are saved by works, that they are saved by keeping the law. The Spirit dwelling in them is a testimony to them that salvation is by grace through faith, through faith. So there are three things I want you to see in our text this morning. And I know I spent a good bit of time kind of on that introduction. And I'm going to move through these fairly quickly. But I want you to note first that Paul, Paul, Paul reminds them that they received the Spirit by faith. They received the Spirit by faith. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, You foolish Galatians. Who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? And he says this, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So the first thing that he does is he calls them out for buying into lies. He says, you foolish Galatians. And he's not saying you're foolish as if you're ignorant. He's saying you're foolish because you know the truth and you're turning away from it. That's a whole other kind of foolishness. It's one thing when we just don't know what we don't know. It's another thing when we know what we should know and we decide, nah, I don't want it. That's the foolishness he's talking about. He says, who has bewitched you? It's almost like he's saying, I just can't understand how you got to this place. And so we see the seriousness with which Paul deals with this. Because then he goes on and he notes that it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And what Paul means here is that they had seen and heard through Paul the powerful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for their sin and they believed. That's what's mind-blowing. The churches in Galatia did not physically, they would not have physically seen Jesus on the cross. It is highly unlikely that the churches were there, or that these churches were there in Jerusalem... When Jesus was crucified. Why? Well, because they weren't Jews. So they had no reason to go to Jerusalem for the Passover when Jesus was crucified. They didn't become Christians till later on. So they weren't there when Jesus was crucified. So how is it that Paul can say, yet you saw Jesus publicly portrayed as crucified? Well, one commentator notes this. He says, notice that Paul emphasizes how the visible sight of Christ was. He says this is an illusion more than vivid or imaginative preaching. Paul wants them to recall how he himself physically embodied the cross of Christ. That the Galatians thus saw the crucified Christ in the crucified Paul. So in other words, the churches saw Jesus when they saw Paul because he was a living, breathing testimony to the power of the cross to save. And as they looked at Paul's life and they heard him preach and they saw the persecution that he endured and stayed faithful, they saw Jesus and they believed. Can we just pause and say, what a testimony to that man's faith. That the churches in Galatia looked at Paul and saw Jesus. Do you know how much I pray that my daughters can say one day that they looked at their daddy and saw Jesus? Do you know how much I pray that we can be people, that people can look at us and they see our faithfulness and they see our lives change and they see our endurance in the midst of hardship and they say, I understand the crucified Savior because I have seen you live your life. The sad thing for me is I don't know if people can say that about me just yet. But I'm fighting for it. I want to be that picture of Jesus. But what a testimony of Paul's life. And so, I mean, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And they can look at him and say, yeah, we've seen you. You've been crucified with Jesus. You've endured the beatings. You've endured the punishment. You've endured the hardship. And you've stayed faithful because you've shown us that Jesus is worth it. And the churches saw it, and They believed. They believed. And so Paul is calling them to remember when they came to Christ and to remember what happened when they came to Christ. Because in that moment, they received the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. Now, have you ever noticed that for many of us, I'd be willing to bet most of us in this room, some of y'all are much more spiritual and probably holier than me, so maybe it's not the case for everyone, but I'd be willing to bet that for most of us, if not all of us in this room, That when we first received Christ, there was a passion and a dependence and a confidence that seemed that it could never be shaken. And yet the longer we've walked with Christ, if we're honest, the more that that dependence and that passion and that confidence has seemed to waver in our lives. Yeah, and Paul is trying to help them see that. But what he wants to do in showing them that is he he wants them to be reminded that the problem is not what they believed. The problem is what they have stopped believing in as they've continued down this road. But then Paul asks them, This question, he says, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, remember, when they first were were acknowledged as believers, even by the churches in Jerusalem, it was because they saw evidence of the Holy Spirit in them, but they hadn't tried to keep the law. They had just trusted by faith. And so when Paul asked that question, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing what you have heard? They knew the answer to that question. They knew they hadn't tried to keep the law yet, and yet they had the Holy Spirit. So they knew that it came by faith. But, but that's actually a really incredible picture, what takes place in Acts 15, because it shows us the beauty of living in community. You, you know that I share with you, there have been times in my Christian walk where I have asked the question, do I really, do I really think I'm saved? Was I deceived? Right? like, Am I one of those ones in Matthew 20, you know, 7, 21 where it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Have I done the will of the Father? Am I deceived into thinking I'm a Christian when I'm not? I mean, there, there are some passages in Scripture that just get my mind going. Right, Like in 1 John, the one, that, that, that the one who makes a pattern of sinning, that there remains no sacrifice for him. Right, like that, 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 can mess with me. Like, man, I make a pattern of of sinning sometimes. That mean I'm not really saved. But one of the greatest testimonies and, and the greatest words of encouragement that have spoken aren't aren't me convincing myself I'm saved. It's living in covenant community and sharing that with believers and letting believers look at my life and say, Listen, even though you doubt, we see the Spirit working in you. And so oftentimes God has used the body around me to encourage me in my faith in those really weak moments. And so as you hear me say so often, we need one another. Like We cannot hide and pull back when we have these doubts and these questions and these hardships. Rather, we need to pour those out to our brothers and sisters and let them speak truth. Because maybe they look at us and say, you know what, I have not seen any evidence of the Holy Spirit. Well, praise God, then we need to share the gospel with that person and and, and, and plead with God to give them eyes to see and ears to hear. But so often it's no, 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 we've seen the Spirit working in you. There is fruit of the Spirit in you. Be encouraged, even in your doubt, that God has shown Himself in you. We need one another. So Paul is asking this question Did you receive the Spirit? Given when you were saved because you kept the law or because you had faith. And again, they would have known the answer to this. So Paul is making the case that the spirit you have and that you received by faith is evidence that you are saved apart from the law. You did not do anything to earn the spirit. Listen, when you became a believer, the spirit of God began to dwell in you and it wasn't because you did anything, it's because God's that awesome. And again, let's just pause, and I know we've, we've hashed this out a little bit, but just consider how amazing it is that the Spirit of God dwells in us. Right? At one point, there had to be a physical temple. You remember that? And, and God's Spirit dwelled in the temple with his people. But now in Christ Jesus, we collectively are his temple, and he dwells in us. It kind of brings some weight to that, that passage, your body is a temple, right? God's not trying to be cute. He's saying, I dwell within you. I have made my home in you. So Paul is communicating to them that, listen, you received the Spirit by faith, but he doesn't stop there. And he goes on, and here's the second thing that he notes. He said not only did they receive the Spirit by faith, but he reminds them that they are meant to live in the Spirit by faith. To live in the Spirit by faith. Look at verse 3. He says, are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? And in other words, to quote John MacArthur, he says that Paul is asking this. He says, how could you think that your weak, imperfect, still sinful flesh could improve on what the divine Spirit of God began in you when you first believed? That, that's what they're doing. They're saying, yeah, yeah, we might have received the Spirit by faith when, when we trusted in Jesus, but, but, but now we need something else. We need something added to it. We need the law. We need something to help get us over, over that, that, that hurdle. We, we need a little bit more. Basically, what the churches are saying is, again, we might have been saved by faith. And we may have the Spirit, but where we are now in our circumstances and what we're going through, we need something else as we live this life. And for them, they were saying we need the law. And Paul is arguing that you receive the Spirit by faith, and now do you genuinely think you don't need Him? Because if you don't... Because if you need the law and faith isn't enough, what you were saying is the Spirit isn't enough for you anymore. Now listen, any question, who is at, any Christian who is asked that question, is the Spirit enough for you? They're going to know the answer. It's, oh yeah, of course it is. Of course we can't do this by the flesh. But we have to be careful. Because like the churches in Galatia, we too in practice can often live as if the Spirit is not enough for us. See, we too can get to this place where we can say, yeah, I know I've been saved by grace through faith. I know I have the spirit. But listen, these circumstances are really hard. And I've just got to figure this out. I've got to figure it out on my own. I've got to get out from under this. I, 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 God's not moving fast enough for me. And so we start relying on our own power. Or perhaps it's the complete opposite for you, right? There are some who are saying, I'm content to rely on myself when things are going well. When things are going really well in life, I don't need the Spirit. I can just live my life. I can rest on my own power. But the moment things go south, that's when you say, okay, God, I need you. I need the Holy Spirit in you. And we basically treat the Spirit like a genie in the bottle. And what Paul is trying to communicate is listen, it's not just that you receive the Spirit by faith, but you are to walk in the Spirit every moment of every day by faith. So here's the question, though, because we say things like that so often in church live by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit sometimes we just need somebody, somebody to tell us, how do we do that? How is it that we actually live in the Spirit, that we walk in the Spirit? Well, John Piper actually preached an entire sermon on this, but I pulled out four practical truths from him. And rather than try to put them in my own words, I'm just going to read to you what he wrote in his sermon because it's better than I could have done anyway, and why repackage it, right? So he offers up four ways in which we, we, we can pursue living in the Spirit by faith, walking in the Spirit by faith. And here's the first thing. We have to meditate on what God has said in the Spirit-inspired Scriptures. Meditate on what God has said in the Spirit-inspired Scriptures. Piper notes this. He says, God has established a life-giving connection between His Spirit and His Word. Jesus said in John 6:63, 6, "It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh is of no help. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life." We could also consider the parallel between Ephesians 5:18 and Colossians 3:16. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul says be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then in Colossians 3.16, which is the parallel verse of this, he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so the commands, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, stands in the place of be filled with the Spirit, because the indwelling of the Word is the way we experience the indwelling of the Spirit. Hear me, that is so important to the Christian life. The way you experience the indwelling of the Spirit is by experiencing the indwelling of the Word. They are inseparable. And that is why, for us at our church, we elevate the Word of God. Because we do not believe there is any way we experience the Spirit in more fullness than through the Word of God. Because the Spirit and the Word are united. Here's the second way he says... We, we can learn to live in the Spirit by faith is that you believe what you hear and see in the Word. It's not just enough to meditate on it. You have to believe it. You know, even in our text this morning in verse 5, Paul asks, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by, listen, hearing with faith? So the Holy Spirit is supplied to us and works powerfully in us as we hear the Word with faith as we believe it. You know, Stephen in Scripture was described a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Acts 6-5. Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, Acts eleven twenty four. 24 Those pairings of faith and spirit are not coincidental. As we meditate on the Word of God, faith comes by the Word. And in and, in and by this faith, we experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So we seek him by meditation on the word and belief in what we hear and see. Here's the third way that we learn to live in the spirit by faith. We hold fast in obedience to what we have heard and believed. We hold fast in obedience to what we have heard and believed believed. One of the disciples asked Jesus in John 14, 22, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So how is it, Jesus, that you're going to show us yourself, but you're not going to show yourself to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Listen, and we will come to him and make our home with him. How? Through the spirit. For those who love Christ and keep his word, there is a special intimacy, listen to this, there is a special intimacy of love given by the Father. And the Father and the Son draw close with unusual fullness and sweetness, and they do so by the Spirit. And if anyone keeps God's word and holds fast to it as a treasure in obedience, he will not quench the Spirit. Or grieve the Spirit, but will know the fullness and sweetness of fellowship with the Father and the Son by the Spirit. Here's the fourth way we learn to live in the Spirit by faith we have to actually desire the Spirit. We have to desire the Holy Spirit. He is not a member of the Trinity that we can push to the side. We have to desire Him. In all this meditating and believing and obeying, we have to desire all that God is for us and has for us in Him. We have to trust Him. You know, He says in John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then He says, And now this He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. So Paul points out to them, Even in our text this morning, that not only did they receive the Spirit by faith, but they are meant to walk in the Spirit by faith in everything that they do, depending on the Word of God, trusting in it, and allowing the Word to be a weapon the Holy Spirit uses to push us to look more like Jesus. Because you do know that the Word of God was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So Paul again points out to them, they received the Spirit by faith, they are meant to live in the Spirit by faith, but finally he notes this, this is the third and final thing I want you to see. That they have endured and will endure through the Spirit by faith. They have endured and they will endure through the Spirit by faith. Look at verse 4. Paul says, Did you experience so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing. And The, the word experience there is actually better translated as suffer. So it would, it would read, Did you suffer so much for nothing? if in fact it was for nothing. And what Paul is pointing out to them is that if they think that faith has let them down and that the Spirit has let them down, then all of this suffering that they have already endured has been for nothing. But what Paul wants them to see is that it is in the midst of their suffering when the Spirit does His best work. To quote Todd Wilson, he said, Paul wants them to realize this, God supplies His Spirit generously in times of great difficulty. Paul is trying, church hear me, Paul is trying to communicate to them that their suffering and what they have endured and what they have gone through and what they will continue to go through if they remain in the faith, it does not mean that there is something wrong with their faith. Somebody needs to hear that that just because you are going through it this morning and you are struggling and life is not easy and it is not good and is not what you thought it would be, if you are clinging to Jesus, you can rest assured that those struggles don't mean there is something wrong with your faith. Rather, suffering in the life of a believer usually means that God is doing something significant in your life. I've shared this story with you before. I, I had to learn this lesson and it was tough for me. It was it was really tough for me, so some of you guys don't know all of my testimony, but basically there was a season in high school where I just rebelled against the Lord. Um, I really wanted friends, and I wanted to fit in with the world, and I was going to do whatever it took to get there, and it led me down some, some dark paths and to make some stupid choices, and by God's grace, it was around my senior year where the Holy Spirit just kind of pulled me back I know I as a believer during that time because if ever if ever I understood the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you sin it was during that time the hardest time in the morning because by God's grace my parents were faithful and even in the midst of my stupidity they still drug me to church on Sundays you want to talk about conviction I hated going to church because I knew I was in sin and there was this kind of inner battle of the spirit fighting for me and then myself just pushing back against it but the Lord won praise God that the Lord won and he always does And so he started to kind of bring me back to this place of faith. But what I started to realize was that, man, everything in my life is going to pretty much have to change at this point because I have built my life around people that I can't continue to build my life around. And long story short, God opened up an opportunity for me to move to South Carolina, and God did wonders for my life in South Carolina. He put me around believers that showed me what it looked like to love Jesus. And you know what? Still have a good time. That being a Christian isn't just boring and I watched men who just men and women who just loved Jesus and were uncompromising. To this day, I, I I met one of my best friends in the world there, who is still one of the most significant influence in my life and encourages me more than he will ever know. And so God was growing me up there. And I spent a few years there, and I loved it. I started serving in a church. I kind of I, or I kind of I went through like a pastoral residency program. I mean I mean God was growing me, and and I was I was for the first time truly experiencing in a way that I could express the joy of the Lord. And then you know what God did? He called me back here to Louisville. I didn't want to go. Be, be fully transparent with you, I fought tooth and nail because I'd finally found Christian community. I, I finally saw what it looked like to love Jesus. I was being spurred on, I was growing in my faith and, and I didn't want to come back. And I knew that God was leading me to come work at this church plant in the Portland neighborhood over 10 years ago, and I didn't want to go, and I fought against it. Well, as God always does, he won. And so I moved back. And it was a couple, a couple months after I, I moved back here that one of my friends was getting married in South Carolina. And so I was going to go back to South Carolina. And I wasn't expecting it to be as hard as it was going to be. And my mom's a really smart lady. She knew this. So she said, hey, Michael, why don't you take my car? Because she knew that if I took her car, I had to come back. Because I probably would have stayed there. And I went there and I visited with all these friends and I was refreshed and I was reminded of just how amazing it is to live in this community. Because when I came back here initially at Portland, I was kind of on an island, right? The people that I had known in Louisville, I just couldn't hang out with anymore. My life had changed. They weren't going to be good for me. I wasn't ready to be a gospel light in front of them yet. The Lord still had to grow me some. And I remember I went to that wedding, and I just felt so refreshed and so renewed. And as I got in my car to drive home, I just started sobbing. Now, mind you, it's like a a six-and-a-half-hour drive back to Louisville, and I'd be willing to bet I cried a solid five hours of that, which is not a safe way to drive your car through the Smoky Mountains, by the way. But as I was driving back, somebody else who was really influential in my life, who was at the wedding that I didn't really get much time to talk to, he called me. And he said something to me in that conversation that was revolutionary for me. For some of you, you might be like, yeah, we've already always known that. Well, I said you are probably more spiritual than me anyway, so let me tell my story, okay? <laughs> so he calls me, and he my phone's ringing. I'm like, i got to answer this, but I don't want to sound like I'm crying. So you know how you do that? You're like, hello? You know, like t- trying to hold it in. And he just says, he said, hey, man, I didn't really get a chance to talk to you, but I looked at your face, and I could tell that you were probably just hurting, and I, I lost it. I mean, I just just sobbed on the phone. I was like, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I don't know if I did something wrong. I don't know if God led me into a stupid place. I don't know if I should be here. And he said this to me, and it has stuck with me, and it has forever changed my life. He says, you have to remember, Michael, that in the moments when you are pursuing Jesus faithfully, and pain and hardship and trial and struggle is present in your life, it is not the absence of God. It's often his right hand. It is him doing something in your life that only he can do, and you will endure by the spirit that dwells within you. We cannot forget that the churches had endured suffering through the spirit, and there was more to come. And Paul is telling them that this spirit that you have received by faith, the spirit that you are to walk in by faith is the same spirit that you will endure with through faith if you hold fast, and he is calling them to come back to grace. And in this text, Paul is reminding us that God's spirit at work in our lives, received by faith, walked in by faith, as we endure in faith, is evidence of our salvation. And our salvation tells us that no matter what comes, we will be okay. We will be okay. And so when we doubt and when we wonder if it is worth it and we question whether God is really for us and whether the Spirit is at work in us by faith, what we can see is that when we, when we see evidence of the Spirit working in our lives, it is God's declaration to us of His unceasing love for us and that He is with us. And the Holy Spirit is the evidence of our salvation. The Holy Spirit was the evidence of their salvation received by faith, lived in by faith, and enduring hardship by faith, all of which was done in the Spirit. And so as we come to a close, let me tell you this this morning, that if you are here this morning and you are struggling, and you are asking God some of those hard questions, let me remind you to look back to the cross of Christ. Look back to where God purchased your soul by His blood and the empty tomb which tells us that we have victory in Him. Be reminded of the spirit that you received and let that spirit be evidence of your salvation and the fact that God is for you right now. And that that same spirit you received you can live in and as you live in it, you will endure through the spirit by faith. But I want to make it a point to say this, that if you are here and you have not trusted in Christ, you do not have God's spirit. There's no other way by which we receive it. It doesn't come from doing good works. It doesn't come from going to church. It doesn't come from reading our Bible. We receive the Holy Spirit when we receive salvation by trusting in God's grace through faith, by trusting in the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel tells us that every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us. Even those of us who are in Christ now, we are still sinners. We still botch it. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and one sin is enough to condemn us to hell forever, and God should destroy us. And some of us are like, well, God would never actually punish people. God punished his own son for us. God will surely punish you if you do not trust in him. And so we deserve by nature hell and God's wrath and destruction, but God has loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life that we should have lived but we can't and to die on the cross in our place. And God punished him for you. And he died and we put him in the grave, but then God raised him from the dead to show that Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, had conquered sin and conquered death. And we have access to the Father through Jesus by faith and repentance, by trusting in what Christ has done for us on the cross, and turning from our sin and running after Jesus. We'll still mess up at times, but we keep running after him. And when we believe in what Christ has done for us, in that moment, in an instant, we receive the Spirit of God. And we can now live in it and endure through it. But the beautiful thing about all of it is, at the end of all of this, we get to be with God. And so if you are here and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, I plead with you to do so. And any one of us who are pastors or that you've seen up here singing or leading worship, any one of us would be happy to talk with you more about that. The church, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us is evidence of our salvation by faith through grace. And we will endure by that same spirit. Amen?